listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Good to be back. May need a crane to get me out of here, but <laughs> good place to rest. So, so I just, uh, uh, once again, I want to, as Nate did, I, I want to welcome you all to Twin Villages Church, whether you're here in person or you're on the internet. Uh, this is the second Sunday of the Advent season, and before I pray, uh, I'd like to give you an introduction of sorts of who I am and where, by God's grace, we're going in today's sermon. I'm Jeff Norton, and my wife Rebecca and I, both we both love the Lord, and how, and how he's led us to be part of this Twin Villages Church community. It's very special. Uh, I, I, you know, just sitting here and singing with you all, and then praying, That's it for the sermon. I think I'm out of here. <laughs> but it's fantastic. The last time I was at uh, Twin Villages Church to worship was during Easter, the Easter season. Uh, but because of the streaming ministry, I haven't missed a sermon, and I'm very thankful. So thank you, Matt, and thank you, Elijah, for that. Now, last February... I was diagnosed with a cancerous esophageal tumor, and I went through chemo and radiation, but while waiting for a date for the esophagectomy, where they'd take the tumor out, I came down with a tick-borne disease called babesiosis, and it inhibited my blood's ability to clot, so you couldn't operate. If your blood doesn't clot, you've got a real issue. So I spent a couple of weeks as an inpatient up at Togus, up near Augusta, the VA hospital, and then over five weeks at the Boston VA hospital as the doctors tried to figure out the best course of action. I was released the end of August to regain my strength and then returned to Boston for extensive robotic surgery the end of October. A week later, which was less than a, a month ago, we came back to Maine for me to recover, and by his grace, God's given me the strength to be here in front of you, although sitting in a chair. So I want to thank you all for your many prayers and your notes of encouragement. You're all such a, a gift to Rebecca and to myself. Never once did I feel abandoned, whether hospitalized here in Maine or in the VA, hospital down in Boston. And as a couple, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. God used you, used you all in a wonderful way, and the Norton family is humbled by your love. You and the, the Walderboro churches and the Cornerstone Church up in Vassalboro have been, uh, have really been my crutch. I really appreciate it. I would say they're everything that the Lord would want a local church to be. I really would. 
So Rebecca and I are, are truly blessed to be part of God's plan for the local church. Thank you. So this morning, we're going to talk about uh, a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. It was written 2,700 years ago. Now, this sermon was prepared in large part by me a couple of years ago for Advent 2020. So for some of you, parts of this may sound a little bit familiar, and that's the reason why. So in order to, to, to better grasp the full meaning of the prophecy, we need to talk about some history. And I know that history for some is like eating candy, and for others it's like eating liver. But I, I think this brief interview, and I love liver, by the way, <laughs> I think this brief overview will be helpful. So here are a few general dates that may be useful in order to follow along with today's sermon. Please know that the dates I'm giving right now are approximate. So we're looking at a period of about 3,000 years. Christ was born 2,000 years ago, approximately. 600 years before that, the Israelites were sent into exile to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they spent 70 years there in exile. 130 years before that, Isaiah was around and prophesying to the kings of Judah. That would be the, the southern kingdom. 200 years before that, the once powerful kingdom of Israel split into two parts. The northern kingdom, consisting of 10 of the original 12 tribes, and the southern kingdom, consisting of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. King David's grandson, his name was Rehoboam, failed to provide the leadership necessary, and rebellion erupted. Now, 40 years before that, King David's son Solomon, he ruled and he built the temple. And 30 years before that, King David was king over the very powerful nation of Israel with its 12 united tribes. King David being from the tribe of Judah. This was a thousand years before the birth of Christ. So we see much happened over the thousand year period from the time of David until the time of Christ. This is taking into account the 400 years between the Testaments, of which we know very little. And this biblical scholars refer to these 400 years as the silent years. So we've got 600 years we're talking about that we, we have some historical perspective on. So the prophecy of Isaiah occurred in 730 B.C., 270 years after King David and 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so we find ourselves today in the book of Isaiah. Now, the prophet Isaiah is believed by most, not all, but by most who have written the, the entire book of Isaiah. He's considered to be one of the major prophets, the others being Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Now, as an aside, there are 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Amos, and Jonah being three. Now, the only difference 
between a major and minor prophet is the length of their written prophecy. Isaiah has 66 chapters. Jonah has four. Their value to Scripture is the same regardless of their major or minor. So don't get confused by the major and the minor. So what's the purpose of prophecy? What's the purpose of prophets? True prophets were heralds who delivered a message from God, from God. False prophets led people astray. In the case of the Hebrew prophets, like Isaiah, they spoke for God. Oftentimes, you'll see in Scripture, a prophet says, Thus saith the Lord. Sometimes prophecy dealt with future events, and sometimes it dealt with current circumstances. True prophecy was sometimes meant to encourage and sometimes meant to redirect. True prophecy always came from the Lord and sometimes took hundreds, even thousands of years to be fulfilled. The prophet was only the messenger, only the messenger. The application of biblical prophecy remains today. It focuses us on God's will for our lives. It guides us, it directs us through both good times and through hard times. It gives us greater understanding of God's purpose in our lives, both individually and as a local church. So today, as we learn more about Isaiah's prophecy, specifically as told in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17, I'd ask you to do a few things. The first is to put yourself into the mindset of this portion of Scripture as best you can. I'd encourage you to examine yourself, much like we're challenged to examine ourselves before we take communion. I'd ask yourself, what is God trying to teach us to teach me today from this particular prophecy. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Isaiah 55.11 says, My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So having given, an, given you all an, an introduction of sorts of what we'll do today, let's pray before we explore what Isaiah has for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Isaiah and how you used him to give hope and to further your kingdom. Lord, may our study today continue to work in us to do the same through the ministries of your local church. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. So let's read the passage. Now I'm going to read out of the New International Version. So it's Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 17, beginning in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, 
I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, or it could mean a young woman, will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 15 continues. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim. So in order to better understand the depth of what's going on here and what's at stake, we need to have a brief summary at least of what preceded these eight verses. Understanding a bit about King Ahaz is critical. The name Ahaz itself means he has grasped. He has grasped. Now, perhaps the Lord had a sense of humor here. As Scripture tells us that King Ahaz was warned and he was pleaded with, not only by Isaiah, but also by the prophet Hosea and the prophet Micah. And as we'll see, the only thing that he grasped was what he thought was good for himself, not what was offered by the Lord. He was selfish, and he was stubborn. The truth be known, regretfully, I'm sometimes like that myself. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife, because it's absolutely true. Second Chronicles 27 and 28 tells us that Ahaz was the 11th king of the southern kingdom of Judah and that God punished Ahaz for his evil. Second Chronicles 28, verses 1 through 4 says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, which means uh, not really his father, but in the line of David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed in the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and he burned incense at the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. End of quote. So having read this, let me bring to, your, to our attention that Ahaz was not only in the line of David, but according to Matthew 1.9, he was in the line of Jesus. So it's important to see here that God uses uses even those people who are against him. So let's not forget that he uses you and he uses me and we too were once against him, right? Right. So King Ahaz has proven himself to be a disobedient 
an idolatrous king. His life was summarized as one who followed after false gods, worshiping them in every way and at every opportunity. He'd led the southern kingdom down this, this same path. And for this reason, God had passed judgment upon King Ahaz and upon the nation of Judah. So at the time of this prophecy, the time this prophecy was, was written, the nation of Judah is experiencing a bitter crisis. Now, currently over the past two or three years, we've had this crisis called COVID-19. This is not the same type of crisis. This is a serious crisis that they had. I'm not saying anything bad about COVID-19, except it is bad, but it's not as bad as what these guys were going through. The external threat to Judah 2,700 years ago was so far worse. The very survival of the nation of Judah appeared to be at risk. We see in 2 Chronicles 28 that because of the evil deeds of King Ahaz, God first sent the king of Syria and then sent the king of Israel against Ahaz. So we've got this little battle going on, potentially. Both campaigns had devastating results on the tribe of Judah. Verse 7 says that in one day, the king of Israel's army killed 120,000 soldiers of Judah, killing even Ahaz's own son. They also took captive 200,000 of their wives, their sons, and their daughters. Syria and Israel wanted the nation of Judah to join with them against the upcoming threat from the Assyrians, who were tremendously ferocious fighters. King Ahaz refused to join with them, and this greatly angered Syria and Israel, and they were about to punish Judah. Ahaz's kingship and the nation of Judah was being severely threatened. Precisely at this time, while Ahaz is pondering what to do, God commands Isaiah to bring a message to Ahaz for the house of David. Isn't it amazing about God's timing? You know, in my trials, I often fail to realize that God is there all the time, waiting for the perfect time to intervene. Isaiah 7, verse 4 says, Say to him, be careful, keep calm. Now, this is to say to him, say to Ahaz, in other words. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. He's referring to the kings of Syria and Israel. Kind of an interesting metaphor for those of us who heat with wood. Isaiah ends this message with a word of warning from the Lord in verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It bears repeating. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you do not stand at all. I think this is a prophetic word of warning for each and every one of us. Stand firm in our faith. The arsenal of the Lord is wide and it's deep, and he'll use it when he sees fit. Not on our timeline, but on his timeline. So King Ahaz is at a critical point in his life. Do I try to fix this myself and perhaps make an alliance with the Assyrians? Do I fight against the northern kingdom even after having taken such devastating losses? 
or do I join with the northern kingdom and prepare for an even bigger fight against the armies of the Assyrians? Several options, every one of them bad. There's no win. Fear has overtaken the nation of Judah. Isaiah 7 verse 2 says, So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. We've had some pretty significant wind around here for the last 24, 48 hours. I can't help but think that Ahaz didn't even consider what the Lord had told David generations before. We see in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16 where the Lord tells David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Forever before me, your throne will be established forever. I'm sure Ahaz was taught this, maybe even memorized this from his religious training as a child. The takeaway here for us is that the application, the application of our faith is much harder than learning about faith. Isn't that true? Every bit true. Every bit true. So who appears at this critical time? A time critical for Ahaz, a time critical to the house of David, as well as to the lineage of the Messiah. Who appears? God appears. And he appears through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 11 says, Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Once again, God fulfills his purposes in spite of the sinfulness of man. You couldn't get much more sinful than King Ahaz. He was an idol worshiper and he was a child sacrificer. You see any similarities in the culture we have today? Many. Ahaz wants nothing to do with God, the God of David. And who pays the price for this self-seeking disobedience? It's the nation of Judah. Again, look at our culture today, especially after the self-seeking that we've seen over this election season on both sides of the fence, right? So through Isaiah, God pleads with Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. That's incredible grace from the Lord. Just ask for a sign. Any sign. Scripture says, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. You see, nothing's impossible for God. And I appreciated that so much in the prayer, prayer time this morning. God is trying to encourage Ahaz by offering to give him a sign. Just ask. God offered him complete security if he would believe. If he would believe. Ahaz's unbelief is critical. God wants to deliver, but faith in God is required. The point for us here is that true security comes by faith in God's supernatural provision. What was true 2,700 years ago is every bit as true today. God knew that true belief in him would change Ahaz. I know this personally to be true because faith in God drastically changed both me and Rebecca 37 years ago while we were stationed at Fort Rucker, Alabama. We became new people on the inside.
Remember the time in biblical history when God chose Gideon to fight against the overwhelming forces of the Midianites? This is told in the book of Judges and occurred about 150 years before David. So about 400 years before Isaiah's meeting with King Ahaz. It's a great part of scripture, and I'd encourage you to read it or read it again and perhaps read it for the very first time. So Gideon, he asked for a sign from God. And in chapter 6 of the book of Judges, Gideon got his sign. That sign helped Gideon have enough faith to believe that God could use him. Gideon lacked faith in his own ability. He wanted to be sure that God had truly called him. You see, Gideon had no lack of faith in God's ability, but had a lack of faith in his own ability. He needed to realize that God was with him. Ahaz wasn't Gideon. King Ahaz was not only disobedient, he had no faith in God at all. So it's no surprise that when in verse 12, Ahaz said, I'll not ask, I'll not put the Lord to the test. It's kind of a, a pious response by King Ahaz. It's feigned humility. The Lord's not impressed. Scripture's pretty clear when it says it's never wise to mock the Lord. Perhaps Ahaz's heart was too hard, and all the, he could do was cover it with a little false godliness. You know, a memory verse here or a memory verse there, it makes us look good, right? He could have asked for whatever he needed. Isaiah 7, verse 11 says, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Ahaz didn't really want a sign. He didn't want a sign. He'd already made up his mind as to what he was going to do. You see, King Ahaz would rather follow his own plan than depend on God. And in my flesh, I get that way as well. There are times when I don't want anybody's advice. It's as if I'm saying, I've got this, God. The bottom line is that I'm being foolish and I need to repent. That's the bottom line. So the, the issue here is bigger than just Ahaz. It involves the house of David, the nation of Judah, out of which was supposed to come the Redeemer, the everlasting king. As their king, the hardening of Ahaz's heart was not leading all of them, was, was actually was leading all of them into a path against God. It's important to remember that God is not dependent on man to accomplish his purposes. God is not dependent on us to accomplish his purposes. We must be very thankful for that. God's will is done with man obeying and trusting or with man rebelling. God's purposes will be fulfilled with or without our concurrence. We are not on the throne, although sometimes we think we are. He's on the throne. Now, this is countercultural today, but the truth remains the truth. God cannot lie, and in Hebrews 6.18, it says it's impossible for God to lie. Isaiah's response is devastating. 
In chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? You see, God's fed up with a lack of belief and faith from both Ahaz and the tribe of Judah, the nation of Judah. God goes from ask the Lord your God for a sign in Isaiah 7:11 to will you try the patience of my God also in verse 13. God's angry. He will depart from King Ahaz much like he departed from King Saul prior to David's reign. But God does not abandon his people, nor does he abandon his promises. We, in our own personal troubles, would find it very beneficial to remember what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So although King Ahaz wanted no sign, God gave him one anyways. A sign that promised a gift that would change the world. A sign that would be far, would far surpass the deepest depths of the highest heights, as mentioned in verse 11. A sign that would be fulfilled far beyond King Ahaz's lifetime. In fact, 734 years later, when Christ was born. Verse 14 reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The same verse in Matthew 1.23 reads, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, I'm thinking that this is one of the most quoted verses on Christmas cards that you'll find. And although Isaiah 7.14 is is wonderful and much quoted, there's, there's much more to this passage, some of which is disputed among biblical scholars. And this is where it gets kind of interesting. I think it really shows how big our God is. Some believe that the word virgin refers to a young woman, actually Isaiah's wife, who's pregnant when the prophecy is given. The couple very much wanted a son, and lo and behold... A son was born several months later, much to Isaiah's joy. And perhaps, perhaps this is a prophecy with dual fulfillment. One now and one that goes far into the future. One that deals personally with Isaiah and the fact that they would have a son and the other fulfillment, which is messianic, and far into the future. This almost immediate fulfillment to Isaiah in the presence of King Ahaz brings hope when the nation of Judah was under such great military threat. In this first fulfillment, which is Isaiah 7, verses 15 and 60, it states, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste, end of quote. The initial fulfillment of prophecy here says that the boy, as a toddler, will eat food described as curds and honey. Now, this food, that being curds and honey, was coagulated milk, 
mixed with honey and indicates that there's going to be a there's going to be some sort of food shortage coming up. Why? Because foreign invaders were about to ravage the land and hard times were coming. Verse 16 says, for before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. You see, the prophet Isaiah here is talking about the demise of the kings of the northern kingdom, the kings that were threatening Ahaz. The prophecy declared that their destruction would happen before Isaiah's son was of the age to make moral decisions, moral choices, which in the Hebrew faith is about the age of 12 or 13, when they have their bar mitzvahs. In fact, two years later, Syria fell to the Assyrians, and 10 years later, after Israel fell, Israel fell as well. The northern kingdom was gone, never to come back again. So the initial prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah 7, verse 17 shows additionally that Judah, too, would experience hard times. The Lord will bring you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim. Isaiah tells us here that Judah and the house of David will suffer. In fact, they did suffer under the the hands of the Babylonians, as I mentioned before. And they were taken into captivity, into Babylon, a little over 100 years later, around 600 B.C. So not only did the Lord use the Assyrians to destroy the northern kingdom, he also used Judah's enemies to disrupt King Ahaz's rule, which led eventually to the end of Judah and to her captivity in Babylon. Ahaz refused to use God's help, and destruction followed. Now, let me ask you a question that I believe is fair. When we refuse to receive God's help, what should we expect? What should we expect? Ahaz refused to heed God's help, and destruction followed. The house of David was in trouble, but by no means is this the end of the story. Go back to verse 14, because there's another even greater prophecy here. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The house of David on the surface was headed for destruction, but David's lineage would continue and would produce the Messiah. Hope was present under the first fulfillment, as described, but hope under the second fulfillment is absolutely and truly divine. A supremely greater hope and a supremely greater fulfillment. A living hope, as we see in the, in the book of 1 Peter. A child would be born of a virgin in very humble circumstances. A child conceived by the Holy Spirit a child to whom the curse of death did not apply because he was conceived supernaturally in the womb of Mary. A child without a fallen nature, like all of us, yet given a human body. A child born of a virgin who would deliver his people from the greatest enemy of all, the greatest enemy of all, that being sin. No man was involved with this conception. It was all God. 
In fact, the line of David that was promised was delivered and made possible only, only through the adoption of Jesus by a humble man named Joseph, who was in the line of David. In the midst of a world filled with hardened rebellion, God would give us a Savior. That is the Advent promise of Isaiah 7, verse 14. This is in spite of the godless rulers like King Ahaz. This is in spite of the horrendous atrocities of the Assyrians and the captivity at the hands of the Babylonians. This is in spite of cultures that totally disregard God. God took the initiative and he gave us a Savior who was Christ the Lord. This gift of our Savior was not based on our righteousness or goodness but because we are his people and God must take care of our sin if we are to have full and complete fellowship with him. The second, the second fulfillment, which is by far the greatest, is all about the birth of our Savior. It is totally messianic. It is all about the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Matthew very clearly sees this final and greater fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and explains it to us in Matthew 1, verses 22 through 25. Quote, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. And he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus, end of quote. Mary clearly remained a virgin until later when they had children of their own. So may we rejoice in the fulfillment of God's perfect plan, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Although we now have our Savior, many things have remained seemingly unchanged in our current culture, haven't they? Rebellion against God in the form of apathy has become a cultural norm, even amongst churches. The true joy of the meaning of Christmas is often lost in a world filled with selfishness, and idol worship. Folks all over the world celebrate Christmas, but they don't celebrate the birth of Christ that we see clearly in Scripture. Now, here's a part of a, an old devotion that, that I read uh, again recently. It's from our daily bread from over 20 years ago, and it's titled, Where's the Baby? And I'll just read it to you. Two women were dressed in their finest, were having lunch together in a very exclusive restaurant. A friend saw them and came over to their table to greet them. What's the special occasion, she asked. One of the women said, we're having a birthday party for the baby in our family. He's two years old today. But where's the baby, the friend asked. The child's mother answered, oh, I dropped him off at my mother's house. She's taking care of him until the party's over. 
it wouldn't have been any fun with him along. The devotion continues. How ridiculous. A birthday celebration for a child who wasn't welcomed at his own party? What, when you stop to think about it, that's no more foolish than going through Christmas season with all its festivities without remembering the one whose birth we're supposed to be honoring. And that's the way many people celebrate Christmas. In all the busyness, the party going, the gift shopping, and the family gatherings, the one whose birthday they are commemorating is almost completely forgotten. That's from Our Daily Bread in the year 2000. Now, th this is a humorous depiction. Sadly, it's more the norm in our culture today. We just had the, uh, the parade of lights. Wonderful floats. A lot of work went into those floats. How many floats pointed towards Jesus? One. Only one. Thank you for heading that up, Tracy. That's another reason I believe that TVC is here. Right? That's primary. The primary is to point people towards Jesus. And that's what this next Sunday, well, for the live nativity, that's the whole purpose, to point people towards Jesus, right? So the virgin birth that we see prophesied in Isaiah 7, verse 14, is, it's often mocked and it's regarded as a, as a nice fairy tale. We live in a world that refuses to see the truth in spite of the clear word of God. King Ahaz did the very same thing 2,700 years ago. Today, very few actually rely on the Word of God for their source of truth and for their source of strength. We rely on self and others. We rely on others more than we do God. We're foolish. I am foolish, and I need to repent daily. King Ahaz failed to repent, and many suffered. You know, may we as born-again believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ be lights in our, in our families, to our neighbors, to our communities. Remember that the name Emmanuel means God is with us. So when Isaiah prophesied these words 2,700 years ago, no one really understood what was going on. How could they have? Yes, they saw that the Lord was meeting their immediate needs of fending off the military threats that were on every side. But no one saw the big picture and the upcoming fulfillment of numerous prophecies. No one saw that except for God. Even those who were more forward-thinking couldn't imagine a child born to a virgin who would actually be God in the flesh. No one could imagine that this child or anything good could come from Nazareth. Remember that in Scripture? No one could have imagined that due to a government-mandated census that this very child would travel inside Mary all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem where he was born in a manger, a distance of about 90 miles that took between four days and a week. No one could have imagined that this child would be welcomed by common shepherds 
along with pagan priests and astrologers and magicians, who we perhaps inappropriately call wise men. No one could have imagined the unspeakable horror that would come because of this child, as the governing rulers decreed that every male child under the age of two would be taken away and slaughtered in a futile attempt by the government to thwart God's gift to us of the Messiah. No one could have imagined the horrific death this Christ child would endure on the cross. No one, including Isaiah, could have imagined the real and eternal meaning of redemption that's associated with the birth of this child that morning in Bethlehem. The true story of Christmas, if fully told 2,700 years ago, would have seemed strangely impossible, to say the least, because nothing about this true story was expected. God put it all together, and he continues to put it all together to this very day. We don't understand all his ways because we're sinful people. I love what the angel said in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of, of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You know, a Savior is exactly what we needed, and our God gave us that gift 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. May Twin Villages Church and other gospel-proclaiming churches develop great strength and mission focus from better understanding the divine fullness of Isaiah's prophecy. I love what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He talks about the working of the Holy Spirit in born-again believers. And it reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's all about witnessing. This Christmas season, may we exercise our joy by sharing the reality of what Isaiah prophesied so many years ago. The good news of Jesus Christ is every bit as needed now as it was then. Let us pray. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Thank you, Lord, for using the prophet Isaiah 2,700 years ago. Maybe once again look at the Bible with open eyes and see how you, Lord, are speaking to us through Isaiah. Thank you, Lord, for your birth 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Lord, for the cross and all it means to born-again believers and to all who are being called. And thank you, Lord, for the resurrection that gives us both power and hope through your grace and through your mercy. We love you, Lord, because you very clearly loved us first. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit Twin Villages Church.
www.solideogloria.org. Soli Deo Gloria.